So talk about <coughs> emptiness tonight, and this um, term refers to the sense of I am, sense of self. I am mine, me, myself, and it's a teaching and a practice. It's about seeing through that, emptying it out. Mm. Saying that actually things, conditions, these are conditions, forms, and so on, they're empty of me, mine, myself. Mm. And let's always bear in mind, this is not just purely kind of philosophical uh, exercise, but the Buddha only taught this for the elimination of suffering. All his teachings are about that. They're not about, you know, presenting one with uh, intellectual titbits. That's where there isn't isn't a self, but about eliminating the suffering, experience of suffering and stress. Um, so it's important because actually um, the Buddha, the emptiness of self doesn't actually mean that you deny and that there is a self um, because the act of denial itself is a particular kind of activity um, that blurs awareness and the act of affirmation is a particular kind of activity that blurs awareness they create a kind of pressure or a bias don't they, if you deny something it means you, there's some kind of pushing it away if you affirm something, some kind of holding it or pulling it. So both these are activities. Yeah. So um, in the, in the uh, Buddha's practice is based upon just trying to kind of eliminate biases. Mm. So we don't set up a denial or an affirmation, but just say if the mind is really clear, with a clarity, stillness, then is there any what's the generation, what's the possibility of generating me, mine, myself? Mm. So we can recognize that on the obvious level this, this particular sense can give rise to considerable problems because of um, egotism and selfishness and quarreling and arguments over whose territory and possessions and opinions and composition and so forth, and then defence and then aggression. Mm. And uh, furthermore, this sense of of me and myself is is even without you know competing with anybody else or calling anybody else, it's still problematic because things manifestly do not go the way I want them to go. Mm. You know. There's this little me saying I'm the centre of this existence and yet existence is trotting away, not doing what I want it to do. So, you know, things are happening I don't want to have happen. Things are coming at me I don't want to have coming at me. Things are leaving me that I'd like to not leave me. Um, so, you know, this is the condition phenomena doing this. So, even without the kind of more gross forms of of suffering that the sense of self inflicts upon the world um, there's a kind of much more basic one that occurs for all of us if we're not 
being aggressive or defensive or um, greedy or vain. There's this feeling of how un- how uncontrollable it, this re- world really is, and the amount of stress and tension that we take for granted. We got used to it of trying to prop up conditions to make them feel okay for me and you recognize that if you don't keep doing it things start to slide into um, you know where my sense of of well-being and okayness and stability and who I am begins to crumble and then there's some sense of, of fear or doubt or rage comes up things don't go the way I want them to I'm disappointed, I'm hurt um, you're confused and lost so and so we take for granted a continual kind of effort that's going on to keep holding things together uh, for each of us but then you know the problem comes of course when one is living with other people when here I'm holding my bit together and there you are holding but actually it doesn't really me doing that tells me I'm not all that not so focused on what's good for you if I'm doing that kind of in a very intense way and I'm busy holding my own little trip together you know and I'm feeling okay and I'm kind of ignoring you or actually some of what I'm doing is directly contributing to your feeling not so good you know I'm setting everything up to suit me and we have to be sharing the same place or the same territory and everything's going to fit around suiting me then you know basically I'm not going to be paying much attention to you and sooner or later you're going to have to be doing things you're going to be part of my territory aren't you I want you to do things I want you to do be the way I want you to be so I'll feel okay you know I want you to be happy I want you to be nice I want you to be all these kinds of things and I'll feel okay Mm. so there's this kind of you know these, these tensions that occur around independence and, and, and sharing you know, the, the extremely um, you know, delicate issues for people living in communities <laughs> kind of quality of trust and how do we agree to you know, what standards we all going to do and st- stay with you know, rather than just being somebody's trip and everybody else has just got to jog along with it you know uh, So, you know, here the community is based upon trying to follow the Buddha, Buddha's teachings, the vineyards laid down by the Buddha, and, um, you know, what life, what the property, what this place affords, what the lay people bring, and also to a, to a certain extent, you know, what standards or teachings I lay down. And yet it's going to be a mixture. Mm. have a Zulu saying you know uh, you can't have a chief without any Indians <laughs> chief you know, no chief there's nobody to follow him chief. <laughs> everybody gets up and leaves the chief isn't much of a chief anymore <laughs> so it's a kind of mutual thing <laughs> And you can see within that there's a certain amount of kind of wobbling and, and trying to feel out, feel okay and let go and, you know, support 
just to as really one finds them, you know supporting each other is really the only thing that makes sense because if we don't do that where energy aren't applied in that you know not in a kind of obsessive way but in a kind of general open way then what occurs if, if I'm not kind of tuned in on that level those energies just get into well I'm going to support me you know and then sooner or later some kind of conflict occurs so you know one way of reflecting on qualities of sharing is it's not sharing just for your welfare it's sharing for my welfare <laughs> I don't, if I don't share with you I'm going to get caught up you know, and everything's got to fit me. You know, so that that sense of how that kind of broadens one's perspective, and uh, still, of course, there's kinds of little ripples and conflicts that can occur within that. But it's important to remember that this is a basic kind of um, tr- convention that that uh, we can all follow. You know, so lay people, the monks and the nuns, a sense of really kind of learning to just get a sense of the it's better to share just for our, for our own individual welfare, let alone anybody else appreciates it or not. You know, it's still, it kind of opens me up. I'm not so bothered and, and intensely engrossed in, in just this very fragile and localised experience called me. So you have the sense of the the sila, and then that quality of dana, generosity, and sharing, and also the sense of sense restraint of just not being so grabbing and uh, caught up, mm. which tends to continually throw me around a lot. You know. Once we cultivate sense restraint, we begin to even just bringing that term into mind, we realise how how propped up we can be by the sensory world. You know how propped uh, my sense of self can be upon a taste, or a or a sensation, or a sound. You know, particularly of course things like tastes of food. How how attuned I can be to that. How you know. Food that I don't, that my sense of taste, and again, the food that I enjoy, I can feel really quite sad. Mm. I'm irritated. Mm. So, how much of it, you know, and then in this life particularly, how much can one make it the way you want it to be? So, as we begin to recognize this kind of sense of how I am. The sense of self is always propped upon something, or a feeling, or a perception, such as the feeling is pleasant, I want to be propped on pleasant feeling. And the being propped is not necessarily always supportive, sometimes it's a kind of painful prop, like being propped on painful feeling. It means you actually, your sense of you're being held by that painful feeling, or you're being lifted by that pleasant feeling, but in either way the sense of self depends or is supported by painful or pleasant feeling. Mm. More power, more, also it's also supported by things that are more evolved than, than this raw quality of feeling of pleasant, painful or neutral. And these are perceptions. Uh, perceptions are the, the meanings of things. That was nice. 
that was tasty, that was fun, that was, um, you know, like this. So how things are interpreted and signified, the significance of something, how that really gets into us, probably much more powerfully than feeling itself, because it can linger there, we remember it, and mind can bring it back. What a horrible thing he said. You know, how tasteless that was, how gross he said that, and remember it, you know, and then the painful feeling comes back again. And perceptions trigger off other things. So when, you know, I've just noticing, particularly when one gets quite, quite sensitive in retreat situations, how tiny little things can trigger off whole landslides of perception. You know, somebody, somebody doesn't—not even somebody, somebody doesn't say something. You know, this feeling of comes up of ignoring me, not listening to me, rejecting me. I'm not listened to. I'm ignored. I'm rejected, and all this kind of suddenly this whole landslide of stuff can come up of of feeling um, like that. You know, this kind of mood swings up, or maybe you know somebody said something in a kind of humorous manner getting at me, teasing me doesn't think much of me, thinks I'm an idiot, belittling me thinks I'm a fool <laughs> and that kind of then this whole sense of that can come up this kind of landslide can come up like that or somebody speaks quickly even, shouting bullying, I'm feeling t- intimidated I'm feeling got at, I'm really jangled by all that and then staying that for a while because these perceptual things carry huge um, karmic resonances they're, they're meanings and meaning is like an echoing thing you know, it's not just a simple actual thing it's an echo that resonates through us and ties up with all the kinds of other experiences that have fitted in with that so this kind of huge resonator of perception and once you bing, you trigger it this thing just starts vibrating and it can stay there for hours uh, over things that were actually quite small triggers and pro- we didn't perhaps even get it right in the first place the person wasn't even laughing at me they're just, they're just feeling happy <laughs> it wasn't nothing to do with me they were just thinking of a joke and they don't be looking at me when they laughed And there's that sense of you know, how perception just swoops over like a huge cloud, a cyclone, and you're spun out. And it grips and it, it infiltrates, goes down to the your fingertips and it moves you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I feel so, well, I feel, then I am, feel so overpowered by it. To become that, the image that comes out of that perception, the person who's not liked, or the person who's bullied, or the person who's whatever. Of course, we can get the positive ones, can't we? If you're liked, esteemed, loved, appreciated, on top of the world, successful, skillful, clear, and so forth, and then we really like those things, and they give us a positive sense of being filled, so we're filled by perception 
perceptual echoes for our sometimes for our pleasure, sometimes for our pain. And yet with all of it, the one begins to recognise, wow, how vol- how delicate this is, you know, it could trigger either way. <laughs> you know, and you never know which one which one's gonna which way the dice are gonna fall. <laughs> And if the pleasant one suddenly, you know, is snuffed out, that's painful, isn't it? So this kind of perception, um, the very strong sense of what I what I am. So what happens to me? This is really the the, the core of it. And we have um, so feeling, perception, also sankhara, which is the activities. This is the kind of active bit of what I seem to be. Obvious physical activities, but more, more, more intrinsically, and these kind of aiming, volitions, wishing, pushing inclining towards, inclining away from, ducking, jumping in the mind, scuttling, grabbing, uh, hanging on, (laughs) fudging, (laughs) denying, and so on. These kind of various aims that are activating all the time. And so this lot, of course, uh, is the kind of Propellant. And these three are three, so there's another Sankara is also to do with attention, which is the ability to form an object in the mind. So we might notice, you know, um, you you get a vague impression, then what's that? Fills it out, you know. And we can get uh, very, so, very seeing clarified by attention. So intention gives us a sense of having power to do, power to do something. I'm not going to stand for that. I'm getting out of here. Whoop, you know. I want one of those, I'm going to go and get it. And it's sometimes subtle or sometimes strong or whatever. But intention's aimed at what will be most pleasing for me somewhere or another in whatever situation arises what's the, what's the best option could be to drop dead you know <laughs> that could be the, the last thing we, but we think oh just get out of here so it's not always you know it can be this annihilationist intent um, and yet we can recognise that it doesn't, we can't always die either you know it doesn't just happen like that so intention kind of swaggers around about how powerful it is and what I'm going to do. It don't always work though. We recognise, but it gives us that sense. Attention gives us a sense of being clear. I know, that's what it is. You know, I know. So we feel a bit sort of solidified around that. <coughs> you know, so of course this is very often in, in our thinking minds this occurs yeah, to, to know that what's going to happen tomorrow today know people's names 
know where I am, know what to do, get it clear. I can get really pretty hungry for that. To know exactly what to do, you know, who you are, what's going on, everything is, depending on, on how much firmness we need. You know, and there's a karmic story behind that. How much how clear do we need to be before because if we if, if we don't have that we feel sort of uncertain. Um, vertigo, uh, no ground. Mm-hmm. So people seem to need different amounts of this, depending on karma. Mm-hmm. You know how much, how vigorous a prop do we need? And contact is another sankara, which is, gives me a sense of where I am on the thing that's being touched. So with these, it's a kind of a. Um, Give me a reference point. Sankaras. These are three. So sankaras are these three. We have feeling, perception, sankara, and these are really where I experience myself as being in all that. And those that nestles in the world of form and is fed by consciousness. And these are slightly looser affiliates of the sense of self because although I don't feel I am form I feel I'm in form you know, form is around me you know, this real sense of me is a kind of immaterial thing so I can have a form but you know, also <coughs> something that's around me um, so it's a looser connection and consciousness I can see things, I can hear things and yet somehow I know I'm not the seeing I'm the, one, I'm the kind of sense of that's happening to me I've got choices around that. You know, I can shut my eyes. I can look at something else. I can, and whatever. Mm. These things. So consciousness is not purely so tightly bound. Consciousness really depends upon external objects and sense organs. Form depends upon what are called the four great elements. So, but within the crucible of form and consciousness is this kind of internal bit which is the three aggregates, perception feeling and formations and these are called nama in another analysis Buddha made nama, rupa form and vijnana, consciousness Mm. and it's really in all this it's the the real uh, heart of the matter is these three nama aggregates Mm-hmm. who feels, who perceives who's doing anything who's clear, who's, who's going anywhere who's succeeding, who's losing mm-hmm. so we can check these out In Sankara, who's going anywhere? Who's going to become something? Who is it? Mm. Who's good and who's bad? Who's that? Who's you? Or whatever, however complex the perception is. So the moment we ask that question directly, that's like a, that's a, a, a question that's about insight. It's 
it's just it's an arrow of insight as it shoots and you go, oh, actually hmm. I don't know <laughs> we can think of something or, yeah well it's me um, um, yeah but actually the very moment when you shoot the arrow where does it go it doesn't it kind of it's all misty in there as to who it is we're talking about is good or bad you may be able to think of certain behaviours or certain events or certain feelings or certain activities but that's a little bit takes a little bit moment longer doesn't it and yet somehow there's still this strong sense of yeah but I, 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 uh. <laughs> So you, you, know, you keep shoot the arrow, and it helps to just at least kind of stop those those misty eye forms from really crystallizing and anything too hard and obsessive. Mm. So it's an emptying arrow. Doesn't say there's no feeling. Doesn't say there's no perception. Doesn't say there's no volition. And say there's no karma. Just well, who is it? Um, in that moment is a kind of a little empty space. Is there? So the arrow of insight is like a particular volition, something we direct. Somebody pulls back the bowstring somebody shoots the arrow, it's a volitional tendency we definitely do it and so the final question is who does that? whose arrow is it? So this, um, of course, sometimes it's it, the arrow it hits enormous wave of you know, something that just moves through space or air, or through something that yields and opens up. You know, a particular mood or feeling suddenly poof, opens up. Sometimes it hits a huge counteraction wave of clenchness. You know, fear, anger, confusion, despair, you know, just don't bother with this stupid question. <laughs> you know, it doesn't go into it, not, not interested in that one, it just kind of pushes it away. It doesn't matter who feels angry, I'm angry. <laughs> That's the main point. You shouldn't do that, and I, you know, I had enough of this, and they always do that, and I've spent years doing this, and how dare you, and so forth. It's kind of a huge thing. Something's not rational, or something that's just completely involuntary takes over it. So the other aspect of the practicing of, of emptying, really necessary aspect, is is samatha, is calming, steadying, mm. which means that it helps to soothe out those those waves, those clenchnesses, those uh, fears, those rages. Mm. So this is also part of emptying, conducive to it, a relative form we might say, and yet so 
necessary. Otherwise, our arrow of insight doesn't penetrate. Mm. So we say in the language of Dhamma, calming the citta. The citta is really this sense of self, is really this awareness that's marked by the sense of I am. It's not a physical thing. It's then to get propped up on physical things. It's It's an immaterial thing, isn't it? sense of I am it keeps rumbling around you know onto physical things or more more apparently onto perceived things I'm happy I'm sad I'm winning I'm losing I'm good I'm bad and it keeps sticking onto those and yet when we can recognize that it just keeps shifting its address the I am was happy now the I am who's sad there's still the same I amness about it. Still as convincing. So it, it you know, it's not really the concomitant or the, the thing that it sticks onto, chitta. And yet without something to stick onto, there isn't one. Mm. So the sense of of I am always is supported by something that we recognize you know, clarity is not what I am and yet without it there isn't that that sense of I am and yet the, the thinking mind assumes there is you know, I am happy so therefore I, I, there's an I am that is happy happy you know but there isn't an I am there's just I am happy is actually one one thing that arises and happiness is taken personally, in other words. So um, this, uh, when we talk of calming the chitta or the chitta be, you know, being happy or sad, you have to be aware that really there isn't a chitta. You know, it's just, it's just the, the awareness taking something personally. Is, is jitta. And awareness again is not a thing. It's a, it's a kind of <laughs> it's the limitations of language. Yeah. So in calming the jitta, we're learning to perhaps first of all take <coughs> you know things that make us feel more calm and relaxed, simple rhythmic things. Breathing in and out, walking up and down, simple sensations, things that are light, pleasant, accessible to us that we can stay with, calming the chitta. When we do this, certain elements begin to, qualities of suffering begin to disappear, quality of of ill will, doubt, confusion, anger, Mm. craving, restlessness. So, to this extent, you know. There's an emptying out. <coughs> and probably <coughs> as we if we cultivate that, then particularly around a meditation object, the meditation object you know becomes the prop. You know, the sense of a bright uh, uh, the brightness that comes when one is with a meditation object and one's, one's 
mind calms down there's a sense of brightness there's a happy, calm, equanimous or steady sense of I am with that remember I am is not something we're always thinking all the time it's not a, a, a con- verbal construction it's kind of infer- <laughs> you know, <laughs> something was invested in it, wasn't it? You may not have been saying, "This is mine. I am. I've got this." In some apparent way, but the very sense of it would be sadness if this wasn't here, or I'm feeling good because of this, is is that is that sense? But in meditation, we play along with that just to eliminate or clear away the some of the the more ruffling kinds of experiences mm. so the Buddha teaching em- emptiness did, one, did this quite surprisingly simple way saying you know, one goes to a forest and recognises this forest is empty of disturbances from the villages sounds of trumpets and merrymaking and so forth and noise it's, th- it's like this and it doesn't have that so it, one's mind rests upon the quality of the forest both the, you know, the general quality of it and without looking for any specific particular detail just the general perception of forest which may be quiet, shady peaceful, calm you build up that so you're not looking around at all the insects or the qualities of the bark but just the general perception so you establish a particular something that's empty of distractions and you get the overall impression of that what they call the gestalt which means that just the overall single quality that brings to mind and you, you dwell in that mm. so you've, you don't go into all the details you just get a single perception and dwell in it mm. so that, that tends that's reduces the amount of mental activity that's going on it calms so when we come to you know meditating on the breath for example then after we've focused on the breathing in and out then we just come to the simplicity of just the sense of the swelling or the subsiding and then eventually just the quality of, of energy or brightness that comes out of that so the, the perception of breathing gradually refines to something that's actually quite steady it's not you know, coarse sensations it's just the steady sense of, of presence um, and so that's the way it goes and you can do this with as the body for example sitting, feeling the whole body feeling every part of it feeling the overall, once you've got every part of it then recognising the overall impression of it and saying, well right now there's nobody hitting me there's nothing I have to do Um, it's void of that disturbance there's no, um, it's not cold Hmm. so then you you get the overall perception of, of, of a body just as it is and then the feeling of the solidity of it if that's a pleasing sign or the warmth of it the kind of vitality of it and you focus on that and by focusing on that, and if you like stretching that perception out, 
one abides in that, feels contented. And the very perception of body uh, becomes something that is um, refines. And you realize it's not actually the same as this thing you see. Uh, it's it's an, a subtle form that is perceived. It's a perception experience. So that makes it much more intimate than something that's just purely an external form because it's something that has a lot of meaning for us. We feel we're in that. So whatever we use as a meditation object, it, that's, that's the process. You, you empty out the obvious um, distractions, such as clanging, noise, discomfort, and so on. And then you empty out the subtler forms of obstruction, such as fretting or worrying or pushing it or ignoring it till the mind settles into that into that meditation object and it kind of it gives itself to it so this is where the perception blends in um, and that becomes a place where you, where various activities that can be abandoned the, the trying to make something, the thinking about thinking about other things, then eventually even the trying to develop this particular thing, you can begin to let go of. So that the sense of self as the agent, as the doer, begins to subside. One can relax a little more. There's more just innocent and open to it. So it gradually reduces that. Right? Mm. So when you practice meditation, really try to just, you know, give it the time for, for the perception to, to arise, the perception of the body, the perception of the breath, the perception of space, the perception of sound, whatever you're working with, the perception, the heart perception, you know, just kind of, just keep giving it attention and not demanding of it and um, letting it come to you. So that your quality of intention can steady itself and it gradually relax into something that's quite just alert but isn't pushing it. So in this way, certain elements of self are relaxed and subdued. The sense of doing it, gaining, getting, when I'm going to get there, when's the breakthrough, can't do it. When we get into the I can't do it, just stop. Who can't do it? Here's the next breath, here's your knee, here's your body, here's the earth. There, can you do that? Moment at a time, that kind of practice. And you you let it build up, and it tends to fall down, and you just let it build up. It falls down, you let it, keep letting it build up. You do some walking, you do some sitting, and so on. It's really, patience is such an important, and equanimity is such an important virtues for lessening or for calming the sense of self because they they calm that volitional fretfulness and need to succeed and judgment that goes on which we seem to be so saddled with a lot of the time I can't make it and so of course when we get stuck in that particular volitional kink, everything starts to break up, because 
I can't do it, I can't make it. Such a, you know, such a powerful perception for it. The, the landslide just comes right down. And you're blown away. I've seen people just out the door, you know, on that one. <laughs> Crash, you know. You say, look, could you just, uh, just, you know, just walk up and down a little bit or sit down and have a cup of tea or, you know, just, you can do it, you know, just a moment <coughs> at a time. And just come off the boil, you know. Can you be nice to yourself? Could you, you know, so that you, you try to avoid that landslide really pushing you too far out. And then you come back, okay, you just hit a big lump of, of you know, karmic landslide. Mm. So where are these karmic landslides? You know, they're in me. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm neurotic. I'm kind of screwed up and cracked, finally psychically wounded, shattered, inadequate, damaged, you know. Okay, well big, big lot of I am can come around that. You know. But really in the moment we we just know that, that was that. So even when we can't do it, there's a, just a recognition of that was the experience and that doesn't you know, it can be conditioned. So I can I walk up in my room, there's a particular place in the room where there's this creak on the floor. So I walk up and it's kind of crick. Come back again, crick. Where does that crick go when I you know, who brought it here? You know, is it on the end of my foot? Is it a crick on the end of my foot? Is it my fault? Am I permanently cricked? Did it, you know, where have I stored it? You know, I've, st- I've got this stored up crick in my body. Every now and again it leaps out. But actually it's just certain conditions. It must be my fault because when I'm not there it doesn't happen. But just certain conditions coming together produce this kind of crick sound. It's like that. And you can sometimes, you just don't, but to take it as mine, or to think it's always there, which is, tends to be another feeling we get. I've got this stuff lurking in my chitta somewhere, like I've got a chitta full of cricks and squeaks and bangs, all loaded up, you know, waiting to fire. <laughs> there might be even bigger ones in there that I haven't found out about yet. This drive me nuts one day. But just certain conditions come together, and that happens. And then you know you come away from those conditions, and it doesn't happen. You know? So there's an emptying in that. One hasn't succeeded. One hasn't failed. One is not lost. One is not this. One isn't. It's just that's an event and occurred. Mm-hmm. Then we come. Is there a body here? Is there a breath here? Is there light here? Is there seeing here? Then, okay, here we are. Let's work with this. So the quality of being able to keep coming back and calming, so we're emptying of the memory, emptying of that particular take on experiences.
when things steady steady we're able to practice with insight <coughs> uh, who's perceiving this who's who's knowing this particular happiness or object or sense of solidity or sense of conviction who's aware who's this happening to mm. and we can see that these very qualities sense of conviction or happiness or you know whatever it is needing to make more of it needing to develop something these are these are conditioned elements that arise they're there aren't they and they are things that we that have a invite latching on and the latching on as I said can occur through trying to either affirm them you know really believe in them or even trying to disband them saying I mustn't be so conceited I'm proud of my attainments I shouldn't indulge in rapture I mustn't indulge in rapture um, this is indulgent because then in the particular activity of you know of pushing something away or grabbing hold of it it's that activity that blurs awareness so we just come back to the awareness of that particular sense of enjoyment or, or displeasure or feeling of inadequacy or feeling a little bit more would be nice and just, just awareness of that who, who's this happening to that's all so that, that is the sense of dispassion we don't have to eliminate the happiness of pleasure or this kind of pleasure but just the sense of dispassion means that in that very moment see your activi- activation can only do one thing at a time so if you're in, investigating you can't be pushing it you know pushing it along you can't be getting involved with happiness if you're just asking who it belongs to you you let it stand by itself whereas if you are saying I shouldn't have happiness or you know I'm attached to this then your attention is continually forming that object and your intention is continually activated around it so you're getting more and more glued to it hmm? and more and more the sense of self comes up with it so really the aim is to just develop that quality of equanimity yeah. and we develop that right from the start you know if we're being more equanimous towards our ups and downs so that you carry that along with you it's just this right now so, and that does that empties through non-filling because emptiness is actually the, na- the truth, the the unconcocted truth. You know, the way things are when things are at rest is things are just what they are. They're not, you know, good or you know, kind of driven forward or pulled back. They're just what they are. They stand by themselves. And then they, you know, they stand and subside by themselves. And they rise and subside and stand by themselves. Mm. So this is what we're kind of trying to tune into. And of course the habits are very strong for us to keep pushing, pulling, tugging in some way or another. So they're just being aware of that.
who's doing this is the question So in in meditation, in samatha meditation, you never get beyond perception. (coughs) You refine it. And uh, attention, you're still holding it and refining it. So it's even things like signlessness, which means the thing we're not, there's no particular trace being left. In the Buddha's teaching, he says e- even this is something that we arrive at. Therefore, signlessness is also something that is arrived at. It comes about through particular kinds of cultivation, and we come out of that. There's an entering it and a leaving of it. So in itself. It's still any kind of uh, experience. Hmm. It's still something that tends to act as a prop. The only thing that doesn't prop is that that very quality of what occurs with the question. Hmm. Or it can occur with the realization, oh, this this too is conditioned. This is something that's happened. So... Of course, it's not the question, it's not the words, but it's the particular letting go <laughs> that that comes when there is that sense of uh, attention no longer being motivated around the particular experience, but just <coughs> shifting into into who is this, or where is this, or what is this. This is the emptying experience. This is actually something we can, once we've begun to get a a feeling for that, then the validity of it is you can cultivate this all the time. You can can keep that spirit going. Mm. So particularly with perceptions and feeling and formations, activities. Who's doing this? You know, so we, we can realise the sense of getting getting into our activities, our daily activities. How you know that kind of attraction there can be into the quality of empowerment that comes with activity. You know, I'm doing something, I'm doing something I'm good at. I want to do something I'm good at. I feel kind of a bit buoyed up by that. Okay. Who who is it? Mm. Just an energy, isn't it? And it's pleasant, pleasant energy. So when you ask that question, 
that it doesn't really, he's saying, you know, the activity always requires something to be acted upon, isn't it? I mean, you can't, you know, build something without some bricks and wood, or, or at least in, even in your mind, you've got to invent them, bricks and wood or whatever, to do the building. So, you know, that intention depends upon something. Now, you just take the intention itself without the, the things, without the, the interesting thing we're going to read or the interesting thing we're going to write or the thing we're going to plant or the thing we're going to build. Just the quality of intentionality itself, that going to do, going to do, going to do. And you don't give it anything it's going to do. It is going to do. It's a sense of like a lurching up going, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> you know, it, kind of, it doesn't really, like, <laughs> and You can see how it just kind of looks around for something to, get <laughs> to be able to connect onto, you know, it's restlessness, isn't it? Just, <laughs> so that it's no longer so much fun anymore, which is the kind of feeling. <laughs> It's just ag- agitation. <laughs> but when you can land on an object, well, here I am, go for it, you know, whoa. <laughs> Even though as I go for it, I probably, oops, lost it, crash, bang, wallop, didn't work out, angry, frustrated, upset, got to argue with somebody else who's got another way of doing it. <laughs> Still, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> Through every hurdle, just to get that, that buzz of, here I am doing it, you know. Wow. This is addictive, isn't it? But if we just come back to the gonna do, is that suffering or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, stressful. Yeah, and then well, okay, why 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 is that? Why do we need that? You know, what's the what's it trying to fill up? Just a little bit of you know, metta or calming is needed. Feeling the earth is needed, grounding is needed, then you can relax. Mm. Perceptions, the feeling of being filled by perceptions. People, of course, are the landscapes, homes, you know, memories of these kinds. You, know, you can rehash love affairs of 15 years ago, whatever it was, <laughs> or the, the wonderful places one was, or the nice people we've known, or people, you know, places we might go to, or whatever, you know. Being, being filled up again, yeah. and yet when you recognise it, you think something like thinking about Ajahn Sumato, you know, you get a nice feeling, probably, <laughs> you know, cause you, if that comes up, unless you feel oh swine, you can never you know, da 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 da, but more, more likely it'll be oh you know, I'm poor, something like that, you know, mixed feelings maybe, but then you can dwell upon that. That's very nice, isn't it? But then you need to recognize, why actually is that? Is it his spectacles? Is it his foot? Is it his robe? 
What is it? No, no, it's not exactly that, is it? Because if it was that, then everybody would feel it, and he'd feel it all the time, wouldn't he? Because he's got his foot and his spectacles all the time. You're going, oh, wonderful, my foot, wonderful, my spectacles. But he doesn't. So it's not the foot or the spectacles or the robe or the ears or, or even the words. It's something, it's being touched by something, is it? It's something happening in me. You know? And yet it's not happening to me without him, without that memory. So it's dependently arisen. It's a dependently arisen thing. And it gives me a feeling of, fills, fills up you know, with something positive, pleasant. But it's not really him, nor is it not him. It's not really me, nor is it not me. So these things, we can't, they don't exist or not exist. They kind of have this conventional, apparent existence, you know, which moves us so much. You know that? Dangerous stuff, isn't it? No. Because maybe, you know, if you actually want that person out there to be this perception, you know, pretty dangerous possibility, isn't it? And it can be, good, you let me down. You're not the, da, 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 you know, that I have the perception of. And disappointment, betrayal, disillusionment, and so on. So it's, it's dangerous stuff. So when we contemplate, you know, the joy perception, the peril of perception, and dependent arising of perception. Well, it's just this. Just be aware of that. We don't have to negate them all or affirm them all because though that adds another thing to it, but just be aware of that. Let yourself be still with that. Let yourself just be quiet with that. And let it do what it needs to do. And you find actually that the, the missing bit of your awareness, your, your sense of, of steadiness, gradually fills with that quality of being fully aware of that. And then the perception, you can, it, it, it loses its same hold. It doesn't enter. The saying you know, of the some of these arahants that being in earth, you know, being aware of earth, yet it's not in earth, not separate from earth, not other than earth, and yet you know, percipient is like there's not the same kind of taking in and being being provoked or bowed down or lifted up or thrown around by it. Just the normal function of consciousness. Just you know, contemplate how one, how we all get so flooded by these things. Some nice and enjoyable, some terribly painful. If one could avoid being flooded, not being prop, being propped by them. 
And this is really something that's not the problem of perception itself, but the problem of this avijja, the not knowing that makes us hungry for perception. You bite one, and one of them's got a rock in it. But the non-taking on of perception is the, is the is the emptiness, not the even the disapproval of perception, but just the non-taking on, because that's where we are neither the perceived, the perceiver, or the not perceived, or the not perceiving. You know, don't take up a kind of annihilationist position. I am other than perception. I am something else than that. Then the same kind of self-view lingers and sooner or later we experience the suffering of um, attachment and of another form, other forms of perception mm. formlessness or something like that which is another perception so very simply if we can just keep up that quality of you know, who is the I am in this? When does that have to be held carefully and supported and reassured and comforted and steadied? And when can it be investigated? And then, and who who's investigating? Who's that? Thank you.